Welcome to Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Robbie Straczynski, and thanks so much for joining us on episode number 17 of Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town. On this episode, we have the pleasure of welcoming veteran poker broadcaster and commentator, David Tuckman. Longtime poker fans are, of course, familiar with David's voice and have certainly heard him on one broadcast or another over the years, but perhaps they don't know too much about David beyond the mic. How did he get into the game? How did he hone his craft? What are his favorite gigs? We'll be talking about all that and much more over the next hour. So, David, welcome to Cards Chat. Really happy to be speaking with you again. I'm happy to. I'm a little, I'm, Robbie, I'm a little bit upset right out of the gate. I was told this was going to be episode nine, not episode 17. Nine is a lucky number. I don't like 17. I'm just, I, I don't know. I'm going to have to talk to my agent about this, but I guess, I'll, I guess we're here, so we'll do it. We are. And 17 is a prime number. You're a prime kind of guy. And I'm sure you have Amazon Prime, so... It's a good comeback. Okay. We'll roll with it. We got, we got to try. Well, David, I feel like you've kind of been around forever in the poker world, but let's try to sort of get a little bit of, of a timeline. When did you first get introduced to the game? And I think there was also a time where you played professionally, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, for sure. Uh, I mean, first introduced to the game was when I was a kid. You know, my family played, like like many people, the story. You know, my, my, my grandfather played. My dad played. I remember going to... Uh, uh, there was a place, uh, many people are familiar with the movie Dirty Dancing. Well, in New York, we kind of did the same thing. We would, every Christmas time, I would play a hockey tournament, and then we would go up to a place called Turning, uh, we not Turning Stone, sorry. Uh, it was in the Catskills. I'm trying to remember okay. the name of it. I'm totally blanking on it. Anyway, it was up in the Catskills, and we would go up there very much like Dirty Dancing, and um, we would, there was skiing there, there was ice skating there, there were dancing it was fun it was whatever and it was where we spent basically our new years each and every year for a handful of years and my dad would play poker and i would sit behind him and i'd watch him play stud he'd play 10 20 stud at the time i had no idea i just saw a lot of bills going in but now when i look back on it i know based on you know obviously my knowledge of the game i was like clearly they were playing 10 20 you know limit stud uh and that was one of my first experiences watching the game and then and then also playing because my dad would give us uh all the dads would give their kids a roll of quarters because right next to the poker room there was a huge arcade nice. and at night just to kind of keep the kids out of like the parents hair so they could right. do their thing we would play in the arcade uh, i'll date myself because i played uh ungodly amount of hours of tron back <laughs> in the day love that game tron was awesome anyway but we get a $10 roll of quarters and everybody else would. And I quickly realized, I was like, I can win their quarters too. So we started playing poker with the quarters. Amazing. You know, emulating our parents, our dads. And uh, so that was like, and I was young and uh, I just got the bug. And then my dad, my dad was more of a gin player outside of that, but he would still play poker once in a while. They'd have a poker game at home. And I always loved it because my mom would bring home snacks. Like there was, that was the time we'd have candy and snacks in the house because she'd buy them for the guys. Right. So I love that. But also I would kind of sneak in the kitchen and I'd watch them play for a little bit. Um, wow. My mom would yell at me be like, get out. What are you doing? Leave them alone. And my, my dad would be like, it's fine. You can watch for a minute. Awesome. Um, so that was it. I mean, I'd watch my dad play and I got the bug and I loved the game. And, you know, I played with my buddies. Uh, you know, we played home games. Hold'em really wasn't a thing. Like right. community card games wasn't really a thing. We just played a bunch of like, dealer's choice games like follow the queen and midnight baseball and black mariah and all these different games that were just kind of you think right on the fly yeah and uh that was so i mean i just always loved the game uh mm -hmm. and i remember you know driving into atlantic city before i was even 21 just so i could play and i would play stud limit and stuff and then i moved to la and if you like poker and you're in la uh it's not hard to find it Right. And you were a professional as well at some point. Yeah. Uh, in 2000. So I, I played poker. I was, I was out here and I was writing and I was acting and I, I found some success in those fields. And I kind of was like, I was over being like a bartender and a waiter as well. Cause most actors are like bartenders and waiters. There was sure. no, there was no Uber back then. So you couldn't, it was, which is a perfect <laughs> job for, a, for an actor anyway. Right. Um, but I was like, man, I like playing poker, and then I, I, I found out about this thing called being a prop. 
Ah, okay. I, I didn't know what it was. I was like, okay, but I found out about it. I was like, that's amazing. So I eventually, Robert Turner, Chip Burner Turner, uh, I made fr- I became friends with him at the Bicycle Casino, and this was 2003, and I was just, I filled out the application, and I was trying to become a prop, and he kept saying, next month, next month, next month, and I was like, oh, man, when's it going to happen? Um, and eventually, in January, I got the call, and eventually in January of 2004, I started propping at the bike. Awesome. Um, I, don't, I don't think props a professional poker player. I kind of think it's an apprentice because you're getting okay. paid. But it was a really kind of good segue into like I had to learn how to play all different games. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like uh, we played Lemon Hold'em, 08, all the horse, all the, all the games in horse. Uh, and when No Limit came in, we started playing that as well but I had to play in bad games because when the games were good, the props weren't in the games. Right. So I had to play a lot of bad games. Sometimes the games were, you know, five handed with a maniac. Sometimes they were nine handed and they were, you know, complete nit fests. Yeah. So that kind of helped me hone my skills. And, uh, you know, I propped for gosh, almost like, uh, probably 20 months, mm-hmm. I would say. Um, and I think it really gave me a good, kind of um, uh, a good kind of like work for like my, my game going forward. You know, mm-hmm. I learned a lot about it. I met a lot of poker players. I learned about the world a little bit. There are a few people that were older than me that took me under, my wing, under their wing. And uh, from there, then I was a professional poker player for years. Nice. Well, uh, for those who are a little unfamiliar with the idea of propping, how exactly does that work? You sort of show up and they're like, go ahead and start this game or like, do they force you to play for specific stakes? Well, yeah, I mean, a casino makes a lot of money for every table. People don't realize that for every, every table that is open, if a table is open 24-7, 365 days a year, probably going to make the casino somewhere in the neighborhood of a million dollars. So it really makes a lot of sense to keep those tables going. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're a casino – if you can pay people to start games and to keep games going when they're, uh, when they're slow, it makes, it, it helps out. Um, anybody who's been in the commerce, if you walk into the commerce, it's not the nicest casino in the world. I mean, it's kind of a warehouse, but it's the most crowded and kind of like one of those weird things where it's like, well, it's the most crowded because it has the action. Well, why does it have the action? Because it's more, you know, right. the chicken before the egg thing. And it's a like, sea of um, poker tables. It's a LA area. It's yeah, amazing. it just feeds upon itself. If you've never been there, you just walk in, you're like, wow. Um, and it's the first casino I played at in LA. Nice. But um, so prop basically keeps that going. And if, if somebody knows there's always going to be a game at 11 in the morning on a Tuesday, right. they're more likely to show up at 11 in the morning on a Tuesday. And then once those games going, then other people come and then it kind of feeds upon itself. And that's the whole, that's the game plan. At the end of the day, the casino is essentially paying you to play poker with your money. Right. Um, The vast majority of props that are hired quit within weeks. Um, In fact, when we started, we used to joke about this. Um, (laughs) when When I first got hired and I started there, the other props were like friendly to me, but not that much. And I was like, what's going on? They're like, well, most props just, you know, most props either burn out or just can't hack it. You know, <laughs> it's one thing to play 10, 12 hours a week, but right. you're playing 40 hours a week. If you're, if, if you're not a good poker player and you have weaknesses over that sample size, it's going to get exposed and you're going to go broke. Yep. And the money you get, the paycheck you get, is not going to cover your losses. Right. Um, so you see a lot of people come and go and come and go and come and go. Uh, in fact, uh, it was about, it was a, probably eight months after I got hired, Bart Hansen got hired. Oh, sure. And one of my best friends. And the first like month and a half, I was kind of a jerk to him. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, was just, I was being me, but I was just like, eh, you're probably not going to stick around. He wasn't a very good limit player, to be honest. And I was like, yeah, you're not going to be here. Wow. Um, but that's basically what they do. I mean, their attitude is, listen, if I can pay three pop, three props, $30 an hour each, but the table is going to make me $175 an hour. Right. They're making money on yeah. it. Easy uh, business decision for sure. Yeah. I, I think for, especially for, for, you know, for card rooms that aren't like commerce. 
Right, of course. Yeah, if you need the, the which liquidity. Is most, which is most card rooms. Right. Well, Commerce, of course, has the whole uh, L.A. metropolitan area and, you know, the biggest card room in the world. So it's got a lot going for it. Um, as much I as will you know, for people, anybody out there, if you want to be a prop, it's a great it's a great way to kind of get into the business. Because if you're a poker player, try and get a loan and being a poker player. If you have a, if you're a prop, I mean, first of all, you get health care, you get a paycheck. Yep. You know, it's just. There is some sort of a security blanket there, which is quite nice. Right. Um, the some of the benefits of being a professional poker player are taken away from you as a prop. The huge benefits of professional poker players: the flexibility to work when you want to work, play the games you want to play in. Though that's not for our props. Right. Right. Well, look, as much as you're known for playing that you've done, of course, you're even more widely known for your broadcasting career. How did that uh, sort of get started in poker? Um, at the bike. So. Uh, oh. Yeah, I was actually, uh, I was propping there, and uh, Rick Cloward, Kelly O'Hara, and uh, Evelyn Duhart started a show called Live at the Bike, which uh-huh. I feel like most people are probably familiar with at this point. Yep. And uh, Robert Turner, Chip Burner Turner, thought I'd be good for it. He knew I was, you know, I was an actor, and I was, you know, I'd been in front of the camera many times, and... Um, I had a journalism background and he's like, I think you'd be good at this. You need to know poker. And I was like, okay. Um, Bart, by the way, he started with it as well. He actually went to Syracuse and studied. This is what he wanted. Uh-huh. Okay. He was like gung-ho. He's like, yeah, I want to do it. I was like, eh, okay. I was like, it's going to, is this going to, I was just like, I was like, is this going to hurt my hourly? Cause I couldn't play <laughs> poker when I was in the booth, you know? And I yeah. was making money. And I mean, think about it. Like if I'm getting paid 35 an hour from the casino, and I'm making another 40 an hour playing poker, I'm making $75 an hour. That's decent money. Oh, you yeah. Know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just thinking, I'm like, oh, well, am I going to, you know. Um, but I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. And that was, we, we had the meetings for it in late 2004. And then January of 2005, the show started. And it was Bart, myself, and probably three other commentators that were kind of brought on board to do it. All of us, I mean, we were, it was a, clo- we were commentating in a closet, right? <laughs> like literally like a maintenance closet. <laughs> um, I mean, the production value was non-existent, but the show kind of got a cult following. It's also what, 2004, five. This is relatively this is early. Like, so. Live streaming was like, I mean, live streaming was in its infancy. Uh-huh. I mean, most people barely had the, the, the bandwidth to even deal with it. You know what I mean? Right. So people loved it though. And they tried to use a pop, they tried to go off the popularity of like WPT and we're like, let's do it. The first thing out there. So it kind of like, I mean, we got a following in Europe. Wow. Um, and it was pretty exciting because very quickly Bart and I kind of became the mainstay commentators and the rest of them kind of, and then uh, the poker channel in Europe decided they wanted to take the live at the bike shows, which were three hour long shows. At one point there were three hours, one went four hours and they wanted to edit them down. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. And show them on their channel. Right. Okay. Well, they suddenly needed Bart and I to go to a voiceover studio in LA because they needed the ins and outs from commercials because right. suddenly, it was, you know, it was a three hour show, but they were editing it down and they had commercials. So it was, you know, we had to do ins and outs. And so we learned a lot about like the voiceover world there doing this um i mean we were really lucky in the sense that i mean i was really lucky in the sense that i got to learn a lot about broadcasting and voiceover work without having a very big you know telescope on me mm-hmm. microscope on me either way you want to say it. it was just nobody watched the show in the beginning so it was kind of like i could i could suck uh-huh. you know right. i could be terrible and it didn't matter right you know um so that was, that was pretty cool. But the Poker Channel thing, that was a huge break for me because they took our shows and suddenly we're on TV in Europe and that suddenly opened up a whole new world to me. For sure. I know that, you know, you mentioned already that you had gone to LA to try and do acting. I know in college you studied biology, if I'm not mistaken. I biology, philosophy, and journalism. Right. So before sort of poker, you know, lured you in and gave you these opportunities, what did you think, you know, David Tuckman was going to do? I didn't know. 
I didn't know. I remember. I, I don't know. I remember having talks with my mom after college. I was like, she's like, what are you going to do? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> um, so I remember sitting down with my mom. My mom gave me great advice. I sat down with her and she goes, okay, just take a piece of paper. This is not the piece of paper. Right. That'd be pretty cool if I still had it. She said, write down everything you love doing. Hmm. So I did that. So then she said, okay, let's, I wrote down like, I don't know, 18 things that I love doing. And she said, okay, let's see what jobs can come out of those. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, like I wrote hockey and she said, okay, let's see all the things you can do around hockey, you know, hockey coach, da, 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 all these different things, whatever. Uh, working for a hockey team, you know? Okay. Um, you know, all these. And so the, basically my mom gave me the advice of, okay, you live once, uh, figure out what you love, which is, that's not hard. Right. And then try to see if you can make a living doing it. Right. That's great advice. I love it. Yeah. And I just, you know, I, at the time, broadcasting was not, I mean, I, I, I enjoyed journalism. I wrote for, uh, I wrote for my college paper. Mm-hmm. So I really like writing and I like journalism, but broadcast journalism wasn't really a thought. In fact, my brother-in-law went to Syracuse, the school of Newhouse, which is, you know, renowned for their broadcasting. Um, and that's what he wanted. He decided not to pursue that because he, I think he got a job offer for like $11,000 to live in Iowa. And my sister was like, I'm not moving to Iowa. So he became not for $11,000. Right? That was basically, she's like, you want to go to, but that's, but that was that world. If right. you wanted to make it, if you weren't an athlete mm-hmm. and you wanted to make it as the broadcaster, the world was basically pay your dues and like single a baseball or yeah. mm-hmm. uh, ECHL. If you're a hockey guy, whatever, I mean, the, the, the bottom of the bottom, you know, and pay your dues, make no money, work your way up. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was kind of the thing. So I never had an idea like broadcasting. I was like, yeah, you know, I'm not, I was athletic, but I'm not like, I'm not a right. professional athlete. So I'm like, that's, that path's not for me. I was like, but I had no idea. Well, thankfully uh, things seem to have worked out just fine. Uh, and worst comes to worst, you can always just go back and, and play. I know you still play plenty of mixed games, decent stakes, you know, like that, that's always available to you. Um, I mean, I'm curious, actually, do you have, any goals as a player, like, you know, run up the bankroll to six, seven figures, something like that, you know, playing the huge tournament someday, or it's just like, I'm cool. I'm comfortable where I'm at. No, I mean, I definitely, I mean, I've always had the, uh, part of, I've always had the dream. I'm, I'm, I'm a very confident person and I might be naive in this regard. Um, and I might be stupid. I don't know, but I'm a really confident person and I genuinely believe that, and I thought this for a while. I think like if I took like a year and I played like the tournament circuit, I think I feel like I do well. Uh-huh. Um, when I play tournaments, I seem to find success doing it, you know, whether it be cashing in the main event or right. I played a World Series of Poker circuit event in L.A. I mean, I played like seven tournaments a year. I came in second place in one of them and it's ridiculously small sample size. Right. Of course. But I feel like. Like, I feel like I would do pretty well if I played tournaments and I love cash games. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, I would, I would love, I mean, I would love that, but that, that would be bittersweet because that would mean that I wouldn't be commentating. Mm-hmm. So it's, I, I don't, you know, and then honestly with, you know, you're, you're a family guy. I'm a family guy. It's yeah. just, you got to pick and choose when you're going to travel. Yeah. And I already travel so much normally, obviously 2020 uh, being uh, the exception. I already travel so much for, uh, for work normally that taking time to then go play tournaments too. Sure. It's really difficult. I have two young boys and, you know, and frankly, I love being around them and I love being around my wife and I want to be my family. So, you know, playing tournaments is something that's going to have to probably wait. Um, I don't know. I mean, but I love playing them. I love playing the main event. I, I mean, I, I look forward to it every year right. when I get a chance to play it. Um, you know, when I go on these 888 poker stops, I am so jealous because the buy-ins are so good. Like it's like, like 1100 pounds or 888 pounds or euros, whatever it is. And I'm like, it's a really good price point. Uh, the quality of player is so mediocre. (laughs) Um, and frankly, I want to show up all the 888 poker pros. Yeah. Yeah. I want to, I want to be like, Oh, that's right. We did it. (laughs) 
but I feel like I'm like, oh, it's just, I, I saw, yeah, I'm, I'm jealous in some regards. Like, I love my job. I mean, don't take me wrong. I love yeah. doing what I do. But there are days, you know, listen, if I was only a player, mm-hmm. that wouldn't be good. If I was only right. a commentator, that wouldn't be good. good so when I'm, in LA, right. when I'm in LA, I play a lot of poker. Normally. What's your favorite room? Um, I mean, it used to be the bike. Um, it's going to be the Hustler. I've got exciting news for you. So Hustler, Hustler, I don't know if you know Ryan Feldman, formerly of Live the Bike. So uh, Ryan Feldman and an investor and the Hustler Casino are partnering up to do a Hustler Casino Live. Nice. So it's going to be, you know, similar to Live at the Bike, but according to Ryan, better, better production value. He's going to bring everything that he brought to Live the Bike, bring there. Anyway, I'm pretty excited because I'm going to be commentating there. Woo. And I was, I did enjoy playing at, I did enjoy playing at Hustler. So, I mean, honestly, I mean, Hustler and the Bike are probably my two favorites in LA. Nice. Well, I know that, um, you know, again, this is a exceptional types of times and a lot of the rooms, I know for sure I've seen at Commerce, uh, they're building these outdoor playing areas. Um, I, you know, they've got the protections in place, stuff like that. But what's interesting, I'm pretty certain, I mean, they're investing a lot of money. I imagine those are going to sort of stay put in normal times as well, you know, increase their square footage, that sort of thing. What do you think about playing poker outdoors? I mean, depends. What the weather is. That's LA. I mean, I'm fine with playing outdoors. If it's, I'm fine with playing outdoors if it's comfortable. Uh huh. And you in pandemic I mean? times with the. No, I'm not, I'm not going to the casinos. Okay. I'm just. Uh, I'm. Um, I, as much as I respect the casino's effort. And I understand it's a business. They're trying to stay, you know, they got to make money. It's a business. They want to employ people. Gotta keep, exactly. I get it. I get it. And I respect that. Um, I feel like, you know, until we get the virus under control and obviously a lot of people, you know, kind of saw this happening, this obviously the spike in the winter and um, it's just like, the risk, I, I'm always a big believer in risk versus reward. Sure. All poker me, players like, are, for sure. I, yeah, I'm like, I'm a healthy guy, and I'm not necessarily worried if I get it, but I also don't want to, like, I don't want to get it. I don't want to give it to my family. Mm-hmm. So, Poco yeah. be there. And Poco, I mean, listen, we're going to get this on, we're get, this too shall pass. Yep. You know, this Indeed. too shall pass. And when it does, Poker will still be there. Indeed. When, when times are regular, uh, who are some folks that you enjoy playing with the most because they're most friendly? Those people you, you like spending there? time with at the table. Oh, okay. Well, I was going to say, when you say friendly, do you mean like really bad players? No, no. no. <laughs> I mean like you like talking are, to them in those, the street. I, those too. guys are really friendly. Uh, you know what's <laughs> funny, actually? So uh, I was enjoying – we were having a monthly get-together game on Live at the Bike called Barry's Fish Fry. Uh, okay. Maybe it'll end up having a hustler now. Hopefully it will. So uh, Barry Woods, who is like a local businessman and a uh, uh, really fun guy. Anyway, um, he he kind of like got a bunch of fun guys to play poker together. Uh, Matt Salzberg was in the group, obviously, mm-hmm. former WPT player of the year. Uh, Mac Verstandig, a lawyer, a Vegas lawyer, who took on the uh, Mike Postle case. Uh, he's in the game. So, uh, Mark Thompson, he was a weatherman and a poker player in the LA area. Oh, I know Mark Thompson. I didn't know yeah. him. I remember that from my LA days. Oh, so, like, cool. there's some LA guys, and it's like not really any pros or anything. It's just like a bunch of fun guys. And we just, like, literally, it was like once a month. Uh, you know, I, I had to miss it a few months because I would be traveling with 888. Uh-huh. But it was one of those things that they had going for a while. And that was fun. I mean, I, I, I enjoy it. Um, I mean, when you play poker professionally in, in LA and you play enough, you know, there are times in my life I was playing 40, 50 hours a week. And, you know, even now, I mean, saying even before 20, before uh, COVID, I was probably playing like yeah, 20 hours a week, say three okay. sessions a week. There's a bunch of amazing people that you meet. Um, you know, there's a guy named Bo who was uh, the keyboardist for my morning jacket. who's was a great poker player and a really awesome guy. Love seeing him. You know, and there's just a bunch of guys that you just like, you know, you go to the poker room, you're like, hey, what's going on? So yeah. I mean, in many ways, I mean, that's for me, that's one of the reasons why I love live poker. Walking in and being like, what's going on? You know, seeing yeah. your old friend. 
Yeah, I, I definitely feel the same way. And I'm sure uh, everyone watching and, and listening feels the same way in the Cards Chat community too. Um, one other place, you know, yeah, one other place where you develop friendships is also within that broadcasting niche, at least on Twitter. I see you have a pretty friendly rapport with uh, your fellow broadcasting legends. Uh, I imagine that uh, translates to real life and in person too. Um, I wonder though, is there any sort of like competitiveness amongst you guys? Like who's going to get the next gig or something like that? Are you kind of like, you know, each in your own little space? Um, oh, by the way, before I, could, before I answer that, that's what sure. I know. Another place I actually love playing is Asper's. Oh, I London. It, because we go at twice a year, every year at 888, mm -hmm. I've gotten to know the regulars. And because there aren't that many big games there, and every time I'm in town, there's always the, the room, there's always the biggest game, and I always play that one. Nice. So I know those guys. And oh, some of those cool. guys actually come out to LA during like the peak seasons of poker out here. So huh. I see those guys. A couple of really great guys that are like, hey, what's going on? And we hug it out. It's great. That's wonderful. So, well, that's good. Yeah, I try really to play cool. there next time I go to England, hopefully. It's a great, I mean, it's a great room. Great room for sure. Anyway. Um, okay, here it is. Are we competitive? No, I don't think we're competitive because we genuinely support each other. Yeah. Are we all kind of like hammering for the same jobs though? Yeah. In many ways we are, mm -hmm. you know? So there's that too. Like I love Ali Najad. I think he does an amazing job, right? Um, I love Lon McCarran. I love there, but the people that do the play, the, the people that host the play-by-play the play guys, you know, those are, especially for poker, those are my direct competition. Right. So, you know, I think we're all obviously aware of that. Mm -hmm. I, 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 maybe it's a matter of like, we're all kind of confident in our own skin. For sure. And we've been able to do okay. Like I'm really good friends with Stapes, you know? Mm -hmm. And Ali and I, when I go to Vegas, Ali and I hang out. We have drinks and we eat food. Yeah. And I love him. Um, and I mean, one of my favorite dinners ever was me, Ali Najad, Lon McCarran at Maury's house. Oh, wow. That's and that was just like, like, it was literally like, we're all telling stories and Lon's telling stories about how he got into it. And Ali's telling stories and Maury's sitting there. And we're, it was a three, you know, three play-by-play -play guys talking to Maury and you know, I mean, I guess what's been good, I guess, is the fact that we've all been able to get work mm -hmm. and have enough work to eat, eat food. Yeah. So maybe that helps. Um, yeah. You know, but I have a lot of respect for the people that do this work. I mean, Jeff Platt, who's coming to the business and everything, and I think he does a great job. Um, so it's kind of weird. Like, I mean, are we competitive? No. But are we aware of the fact that, like, we're all fighting for the same jobs? Yeah, kind of. Mm-hmm. Well, like you said, it's nice that there's enough work to go around, uh, you know, that all you guys, you know, have plenty to do, uh, you know. And, 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 listen, and, and then there are companies out there. I mean, like I love Nick Welthall and stuff. Like that, and there are companies out there that do that are like, oh, and then they'll go, they'll go, they'll, they'll give newer people a chance because they right. want to spend less money. I respect that. I mean, I was, I was that guy. Yep. You know, I was that, that guy when I first got my first, my first real chance when I did the, uh, uh, the million dollar cash game for full tilt. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I got that because another very well known commentator wanted more money. Uh -huh. I took less and I got it. There you go. Well, everyone, everyone uh, has to start from somewhere. I mean, you've been doing this for a while, obviously. Is there someone or more than one person who you'd say is an influencer? of your work, perhaps, you know, outside of poker and then someone who you've sort of learned from to hone your craft better? Well, I watch everything Norman Chad does just to make sure that I know exactly what not to do. <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's honestly for any broadcasters out there, I get a lot of people asking me all the time. Can you give me advice? Watch Norman Chad and do the opposite. <laughs> You're fine. Okay. You'll have a long career. Um, I try to, I'm honestly, um, in all, in all seriousness, I, uh, I try to grab a little bit for everybody. Uh -huh. I remember way back when I was working for, uh, I was working for Sky Sports covering the NFL and, uh, there were games that would come overseas obviously every year they would play them in, in, in England and in London. 
and Jim Nance came over to call one of those games. Wow. And I had the opportunity to interview Nance. Jim Nance. Wow. Yeah, and I did, and, and then I, had done, I did a lot of research. So I can go in there really kind of prepared. And I, and I got, I had an hour with him to sit down with him. Wow. And we had two characters. It was great. Um, and I got so much from him. Hmm. And I feel like whether I know somebody or not, I think there's a lot of people out there that I watch do what I do. And I learned from them. I mean, Brendan Burke, who is the uh, the play-by-play guy for the New York Islanders. Nobody mm-hmm. knows who he is, but I do because I watch every hockey game. He's brilliant. He's young too, and he's he's up and coming. He's gonna be he's gonna be he'll be here for thirty years. Hmm. Uh, Vince Scully, oh, legend. Of you know what I mean? But I, I used to watch these guys and just be like, okay. I and mean, once I started doing this back in two thousand and five, mm-hmm. and I was like, well, you know what? If I'm gonna do it, I want to be good at it. So let me learn. So I, at that time, I knew nothing. So I was like, if I'm going to do this, let me go back to school. Let me learn a little something. And let me start watching the people that are really, really good. Right. And see if I can hone my craft and get better. I don't want to emulate Vince Scully as if I could. But I don't, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be Joe Buck. I don't want to be Vince Scully. I don't want to be Brendan Burke. I want to be David Tuckman. Right. But I can certainly learn from all of the greats that have done this. Well, that's a great answer. That's a fantastic answer. Um, well, speaking of great people who do it, obviously, like you know, we've mentioned, we've been, we've name checked, you know, all the familiar names that we know from all of the the great shows out there that we love as poker fans. In recent years, uh, I would say, you know, everyone, everyone kind of knows this more and more professional poker players are putting on the headset and they're doing commentary as well. They're joining you guys in the booth. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think it's, it's, it follows what happens in other sports. I mean, if you, if you watch pretty much any other major sport, you've got the broadcaster, the professional broadcaster, the guy who's theoretically gone to school and honed his craft and can kind of, what I like to say is keep the train on the tracks. Mm-hmm. And then they bring in ex-athletes, ex-professional athletes that played that sport. Yep. I mean, if you watch the Olympics, it's right. a professional broadcaster and somebody who won the gold medal eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, if you watch American football, the NFL, you know, you usually have, you've got one guy and then you've got, you know, there's a reason why it's Jim Nance and Tony Romo. Right. Uh, right. Because you need the expert in there. You want that person who not only, uh, not only knows what they're talking about and has been there, has the credibility from the audience that they go, yeah, this guy, this guy is, he's walked you know, a mile in these athlete shoes. He knows mm-hmm. what he's talking about, right? Right. So, um, I, I mean, I think poker just follows you the sports and it makes a lot of sense to me. You right. know, why not have Lon, you know, why not have Antonio Sfandiari next to Lon? It makes right. sense. He's a professional poker player. You know, Nick Schulman against Ali, next to Ali Najad. You know, that's uh, it just, it makes a lot of sense um, to me. So you wouldn't say, or like Maria Hall also, same thing. You know, they, they get in the booth and, you know, we, we're familiar with them as commentators now in a sense as well. But, of course, they're primarily players. Does that worry you at all? Like say, well, well maybe we're getting crowded out and it'll just be players in the booth because they've got all the knowledge there? Or, or he's like, no, our place is secure. I mean, listen, I, I try not to – I'm not a, a worrying kind of guy. Um, if there comes a point where people don't want to, you know, hear me call a match anymore, then, you know, I'll find something else. I'm like a cat. I'll land on my feet. I'm not worried about that. So, I mean, and I also feel like it's like, it's not in my control. Right. That said, I'm a big believer in, in, uh, the, I think a lot of people love Nick Schulman and I think Nick Schulman is amazing. I've worked with him. I think he's great. I have all the respect in the world for him. Real and a lot of people will be like, Oh my God, we should put Nick Schulman and Phil Galfon together. And my attitude is when I, when I hear that, my, my first thought is like, like those people genuinely, and it's not, it's not, it's not a slight on them. They just don't know. I personally wouldn't think that would work. Okay. Because again, my attitude is the Lon McCarrens of the world, the Ali Najads of the world, the Jeff Platts of the world, myself, our job is to basically keep the train on the tracks. Mm-hmm. And what our job is to basically bring out the best in the Nick Shulman's and the Antonio Sfandiari's and the Maria Ho's, bring out the best in them, you know? Uh, let us know what's going on. Uh, Tony Romo is amazing. And he gets all of the publicity and all of the hype, and he deserves it. He does a great job. But Jim Nance does an amazing job 
of being kind of like in a weird way, if you were making like cast a movie, like Jim Nance is the straight guy. Right. John McCarran is the straight guy. Jeff yep. Platt's the straight guy. David Tuckman is the straight guy. You know what I mean? It's uh, James Hardigan to Joe Stapleton. Yep. That same thing there. It's the, uh, and I think that to me, it's like the play-by-play guy does that job. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, I mean, worried now, not worried. Like I said, if they, if they want to do something else, they do something else. What am I going to do about it? That's I try not to worry about things I can't control. Right. That's not just a great answer. It's a very insightful answer. It really hones in on what the purpose of the broadcaster is and also the different types yeah. of broadcasters there are. I mean, I, obviously, well, the yeah. I think people forget. I think people make the mistake. And I, I, this, they don't know. I mean, why would you know you're not a broadcaster? People don't realize that, you know, the reason why you have a broadcaster and a professional athlete, usually side by side, there's a reason for that. They have their roles. Yep. Yeah, certainly dynamic. I mean, obviously, you know, we all know that poker has gotten a lot tougher to play, uh, especially since, you know, 2003 and, you know, uh, since uh, Black Friday as well, like just progressively, the more people playing, the more people are studying, it's gotten tougher. Has poker commentary evolved in in any way, sort of in tandem? Um, I mean, I think it it evolves – um, along the same lines, like we get we get better. I like to think. Well, not, not just better. I'm telling you, in terms of the things you want to talk about. So, for example, you're talking about starting live at the bike in 2004 or five. If you think back to those gigs and the types of things that you were discussing on air, uh, you know, the types of terms, perhaps, is that pretty much the same, like a consistency over the years, or has that, you know, with well, people? I mean, like, we finally got rid of like. I mean, we finally got rid of the need to like explain the rules of hold them to people. Okay. Right. Right. Uh, I finally assume that like our audience understands, okay, these, we don't need the rules anymore. Cool. Okay. So at least we got past that. Right. Um, no, I, I don't know if it's changed that much. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I can't speak of everybody else. Like for me, I try to cater my commentary to who I believe my audience is and my audience mm-hmm. changes. Hmm. I am going to commentate on a seniors event at the world series of poker differently than I'm going to commentate on the 50 K players championship. Right. Um, I'm going to try to bring out of my analyst, the co-commentator different things. If I'm covering, you know, um, a charity event that 88 poker is putting on as opposed to, you know, the main event of the world series where there's millions on the line. I mean, you just have to, I think it's kind of one of those weird things where like read the room, know uh-huh. your audience. Right. Um, through the years, I feel like it's probably, probably something I've been pretty good at in like understanding who was watching. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, th- there are times where you really want to get analytical. Mm-hmm. And then there are times where you just got to, you got to pull it back and just be like, I love that vest he's wearing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep, I do. <laughs> and you know, in poker commentary is something I learned the hard way is you don't have to talk that much. People are probably listening to this going, wait, Tuckman doesn't talk that much? Hold on, of course he does. But I feel like with poker commentary, you know, sometimes less is more. Let it breathe. It's okay. But in many ways, poker commentary, I think, mirrors baseball where there are – just a lot of moments that are just boring mm-hmm. and you've got to fill those spaces with like, you know, stories and what's going on and where are we? And, you know, keep mm-hmm. people and keep people somehow engaged. Right. You know, and then, and then, and then there are moments obviously where the poker is so amazing where you just kind of like, oh, shh, huh. let the poker go, let it, let it, let it speak for itself. It, it can do the job. It, it don't need you anymore. Yeah, it's funny. You name-checked uh, Vin Scully before, and what you said reminded me of a story uh, that he had told. You know, he was setting it up. This is, you know, back in the radio days when you didn't have TV. And I forget exactly who was at bat, and then he was telling the story, you know, it was, uh, uh, you know, the count, you know, as the count went up, you know, it's two and one, and here's the pitch. Like and then, like, when the guy hit, it's a high fly ball, she is gone, and then he was silent for, like, 30-something seconds. And, you know, radio listeners, you hear the crowd only. And that gives that perfect ambiance. You don't need to, you know, it was just like, huh. You know, like you said, you know, certainly, uh, you know, resonates, uh, you know, same type of thing there. Um, 
How about now, David? You know, it's uh, interesting times. To twenty twenty is the exception. How do you fill your time? What do you What are you up to? Uh, you know, in twenty twenty. You know, I feel like twenty twenty is obviously unique, a unique challenge for everybody in the world. Uh, I feel like everybody's unique challenge is very different. Each person has their own story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have friends that are single and living by themselves and I talk to them and they're so lonely and they are struggling mm-hmm. and I, I feel for them. And, you know, we try to like, we'll go on zoom and we'll play games and stuff and just try to like, you know, give them some, you know, some interaction. And then, and I feel like everybody has their own, their own thing. You know, some people lost their jobs. Some people are dealing with having COVID or their family's gotten, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then, then you have my situation where, and then there are a lot of people who are like, so much time in my hands. We're not going out. I'm learning a language. I'm learning how to play guitar. I'm doing this. And then you have my situation, which is not, certainly not unique, but I imagine anybody who has young kids is probably in the same boat as me, where I actually have far less time than I ever had before in my life. Wow. I have no time. I wake up in the morning. My kids are awake. Yep. Um, they're How old are they now? Three and seven. Uh-huh. They're always there. My seven-year-old is in second grade. He works from home. He studies. He's in school at home. Yep. My wife's a teacher. She teaches at home. My three-year-old is not in daycare. He's home. I wake up in the morning. They're there. You know, they're always, I love them to death. Okay. They're my life. I tell them all the time. I go, you two are the most important. The, the most important thing that ever happened to me, the best thing that ever happened in my life. Okay. They're always there. Um, you know, we're used to where I'm used to, you know, my seven-year-old goes to school. I take my three-year-old to daycare and, you know, I've got four or five, six hours to myself mm-hmm. to do whatever I need to do, whether it be work or go for a hike or whatever it is. Right. And then, at, you know, three o'clock I'd go pick up my seven-year-old from school and I'd hang out with him in the afternoon and we'd have a, you know, family time. That's gone now. So it's, you know, to get time to yourself. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure that any of, any of your uh, listeners and viewers or who have kids, young kids especially, can probably relate to this. It's just, yeah, I, like I said, I, I just feel like 2020 is uh, a unique challenge for everybody for different reasons. Yeah. Um, and for us, it's just a matter of like, you know, what are you going to do with all this time? I'm like, what time? <laughs> Like what time? I'm gonna. I'm literally. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm like, we're gonna have this conversation, right? I'm gonna go to bed, okay, because it's late for here. I'm gonna wake up in the morning to my three-year-old climbing on me, undoubtedly, yeah. because my my wife and my seven-year-old will be downstairs. My three-year-old have already woken up, uh-huh. and at that, at like seven in the morning, my wife will tell the three-year-old go upstairs and wake daddy, and he will climb on me, and he'll be the sweetest, cutest thing in the world, and yeah. Yeah, Groundhog just, Day. Know, yeah. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. It's just like, okay, what do you want to do today? Yeah. Today we'll go for a hike. And that's the thing. It's like I used to love like uh with my seven year old. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. Um with my with my seven year old before he, when he was in daycare, he was only in three daycare three days a week, and we used to go on due days. So like, you know, two days a week I would take him like we'd go to the diner, we'd get some breakfast, we'd go to the zoo, you know, we'd go to the museum. We go to the beach, you know, we live in LA, so it's great. Um, all these different, we go for a hike. Well, the problem now is here, nothing's open. Right. So it truly is like Groundhog Day. It's like, okay, you know, I'll wake up tomorrow with my kid. I think maybe we'll go for a hike. Maybe we'll go for a bike ride. Yep. I hear, much. I hear that. And like you said, you know, everything you said kind of resonates with me. Like you said, I'm a family man. I got the kids. I know exactly what it's like. Uh, and certainly keeping busy. And I do want to also... Uh, specifically say thank you. I know it's late. It's almost midnight by you. It's one of the rare interviews I do in my morning here in Israel. So I appreciate it over there in LA and Pacific time zones. Good stuff. Um, I did want to ask my last question before we get to the uh, community questions then. You know, this is sort of your you time, you know, late at night. And I have the same thing, you know, late night is, you know, it's all quiet in the house. So, you know, after 2020 comes 2021, eventually, you know, this thing is going to end. I think, I hope, Poker is going to come roaring back, that sort of thing. And I know a lot of players, you know, they're, you know, those who are refraining from live play, you know, maybe not necessarily playing online. They're taking this time and they're studying and they're honing their craft. You know, they, they're going to come back with a vengeance. Is there anything that you're doing during this time to sort of, you know, not necessarily like, you know, hone your craft, whatever, but 
anything that you're sort of taking, you know, your you time and like, I'm going to be better at this or I want to make sure I get this, you know, I'm ready for it come 2021, you know, when things get back to normal, hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I try to do this even when I'm not, even before 2020. I mean, for me, uh, Jason Kuhn said something to me many, many years ago when he said, you know, if you didn't think you sucked six months ago, you're not working hard enough. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, it's probably a bit of hyperbole, but I mean, it rings true and it certainly understand what the point is. Um, you know, if you're not constantly working on your game, then yeah, you're standing still and everybody's passing you. So I, I do try to work on my game. Um, you know, I'm, uh, I'm one of the pros over at crushlivepoker.com, but I'm also kind of a customer there. I like, I, I watch all the videos and I listen to the podcasts and I go to the forum and I work on my game there. Um, I have a lot of respect for, uh, for what Phil Galpon has done over at One at Once Poker. Um, and, you know, I, I, I had the privilege of commentating on the Galpon Challenge, the first one versus Benny Vitti. Right. And, you know, Phil and I got close and I got, I got to know a lot of people at Run at Once and I ended up getting a subscription to their stuff. So I watched a lot of the Run at Once videos as well. Nice. So, you know, basically, yeah, this is, you said it, this is my, my me time. Like, you know, my, my wife will fall asleep watching a, sh a show and my kids are sleeping. So like, I'll get a couple of hours every night where I can kind of like, okay, let me get some work done. Maybe I get some poker studying done, whatever it might be. But I mean, I think, you know, if you, um, if you're not putting the work in right now, it seems kind of silly. Like, why not? Right. You know, what's your, what's your excuse right now? <laughs> you know? Yep. Uh, I mean, I just feel like, you know, it's one of those things where like poker's poker's hard and no matter how good you are, no matter how good your instincts are, you know, there are a lot of people out there that are really good at this game. And if you want to stay on top of it, or even if you just want to get for fun, it makes a lot of sense to like watch a video here or there and kind of like just continue to work on your game. Nice. Well, like, I'm working on games. Well, I appreciate, and I'm sure uh, the audience, of course, appreciates that you're giving of your you time when you're not studying and uh, kindly granted this Happy interview. Sure. We appreciate Happy. it. Oh, and, and just show our. As a commentator, also, I would say, as a Sorry? commentator, also, I like, I was going to say, as a commentator, also, I like to stay on top of things. Uh -huh. So, like, when I was covering the Galpon Challenge and I was covering the PLO. Right. It's heads up PLO. I have no experience in heads up PLO, but I was like, Oh wow. I got to learn that this. So I kind of like, I was like, if I'm going to, for me, if I'm going to commentate on something, I want to have some knowledge about it. So I do try to stay on top of it as well. Yeah. You know, I feel like as the game evolves, if I don't, then I become a dinosaur. Right. Well, totally makes sense. Um, well, as mentioned, uh, you know, the community appreciates and to show our appreciation, uh, we've got uh, community members who were kind enough to submit some questions uh, in the forums. Um, our first question comes from Acid Burn FX, and uh, he asked, David, what is your dream job? My dream job would be, so I am a hockey fanatic. I, I grew up playing the game. I play. I I played a hockey game literally before this interview, right? Uh, before this conversation, um, I love the game. My kid plays the game. I my dream job, if I could like do anything, would probably be like calling the Olympics, hockey mm. and the Olympics. Ooh, would be nice. like, absolute dream job. And then like obviously like the Stanley Cup playoffs and the, and the Stanley Cup finals. But I mean, if I had to pick one thing for me, it would be like U.S. Hockey Olympics. Do you I believe guess. in miracles? Do you believe in miracles? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, second question from Acid Burn FX: What are your greatest pleasures in life? My voice. Uh, I, I mean, it's not even that's that's easy now. I mean, those are my absolute joys. Um, I always knew. I always knew that I would love being a father and it has surpassed my wildest positive expectations. They are, like I said earlier, I, I give my seven year old a kiss goodnight and I look at him and I go, you are the best thing that ever happened to me. Oh. And I'm not, there's not, there's not a, a shred of, of uh, exaggeration when I say that to him. Uh, they changed my life for in so many ways and I've enhanced it in almost every single way. 
That's so beautiful. I, I'm just so tired. I love it. It's 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 so great. You know, and like and like you say also when when you know when your three year old climbs in, wakes you up in the morning, and you know, and they're always there. You know, that is something. You know, as, as parents, I can you know. Do that. Yeah, well, as 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 I say, I missed the chance to miss them, but um, you know, uh, right, right. But but I will say, I do think you know, uh, it, at some point, we'll all as you know, whoever's parents out there will look back at this t- this very very unique time uh, in history and say, you know, at least we got to spend some really good quality time with family, even though they were you know jumping all over and stuff so that that was really sweet um from yeah. shells who's uh, very kindly always uh, submits some questions in the forums um well she asked something that we sort of covered but she says um as far as the variants that you were introduced to i'll kind of like twist it a little bit here which is your favorite poker variant to play okay so yeah i was introduced to stud you know and we played and, I, and growing up i played many variants of stud whether it was like follow the queen Mm-hmm. Um, and we played a lot of those kind of things where, you know, two cards down and then wild cards, you know, mm-hmm. all things like that. Uh, but my, and my favorite variant is, is actually from that, which is stud eight or better. Uh, when I would move to LA, I was, uh, I was acting, I just moved here. I was young and I, I was acting and I was waiting tables and bartending. And after I would make money bartending, I would go to commerce with my 80 bucks in my hand. Cause I just, just want it. I just, I just earned it mm-hmm. and I would play three, six stud eight or better at the commerce. Hardcore. Hardcore. <laughs> and I would think, and I would see the 2040 game there and I'd be like, if I could build this up, I'm going to go take a shot. Huh? I'm going to go I'm take my shot. I've got, I've got to ask, and it's not one of the community questions here, but as you progressed or like, did you ever sort of like rail those games and say, man, this is really a genuinely tougher game than the three, six, or did you feel that when you, when you joined at the first no, time? I, I, I took my shots in that game. Uh, it's definitely a tougher game. I mean, there's no mm-hmm. doubt the three, six game was like, for a lack of better word, filled with morons. <laughs> not <laughs> no, even I mean, the mediocre kidding. players. I mean, huh? like, I mean, the three, six game was just like, I mean, the three, six game was literally like, I mean, every hand was like, it was six ways to like six straight. Of course. This is study. Okay. Yes. I mean, it's six. I mean, when you're playing 2040, most hands are like three ways. Yep. Heads up. Um, heads up or three ways. And this was like, I mean, if you're playing in a game where it's six ways to fifth and sixth street, it's a good game. Yep. Know? That means a lot of people in there that shouldn't be in there. Sure. Uh, so, yeah, the 360 game was terrible. The 2040 game, you had some players in there that knew what they're doing. So, yeah, without a doubt, it was definitely a tougher game. Cool. Well, you uh, meant- and at the time, I was at the time I had a lot of learning to do. Right. Um, you mentioned uh, all the acting that you'd done. Um, also from shells here. Given your acting experience, which role was your favorite? No. Oh. <laughs> My favorite role. Gosh. Great question. Thank you, shells. No, it's a really good question because I, I mean I. I, I I'm kind of proud of my acting background because I, I, I had enough success in acting where, so if you're an actor in, if you're an actor, there's an actor's union called SAG and AFTRA. They have, they've since uh, merged, but to get healthcare, SAG healthcare is like legendary. It's amazing. Amazing. But to get healthcare, you have to make a certain amount of money. And there's always kind of this stigma where it's like, like if you can make it as an, if you can make it as an actor, that means you made enough money to get healthcare. Uh-huh. And I did that for two years. Nice. So I was really kind of proud of that. Like I like I got SAG Healthcare for two years. Okay, which was pretty awesome. I was like, all right, cool. Um, the God, Screen I mean, Actors I, Guild for those who uh, don't know. Yeah, the Screen Actors Guild, yeah. right? And the after is uh, like radio and television generally. Speaking. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so I'm I'm actually you know I'm a I'm a union member of both those. Um. My favorite role, gosh, I, honestly, my favorite role is probably like a play I did or something like that, simply because it's like all the parts I had in Hollywood were also like pretty small. Mm-hmm. Like I was in Beverly Hills 90210, you know, but I had like two lines. <laughs> you know, I got in a fight with Jason Priestley. Okay. <laughs> uh, if anybody remembers 90210 from back in the day, like oh, I was he's like, give me the keys, time. give me the keys. I was like, we don't drive like, everyone else's car, right? <laughs> Right, right, right. Um, but like, I, I was in Party of Five. I did. I was in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, I'm still getting residual checks from these places. By the Saved way. by the Bell. I remember you had a cameo. I was there, in right? Saved by the Bell. Um, I'm trying to think what else I, I did. 
Um, I actually, one of my favorite filming moments was kind of disappointing. So I was actually, I filmed for a week with Wolfgang Peterson, the movie Perfect Storm. Oh, wow. Yeah, I played, I played a Coast Guard member. We filmed it up at Point Magoo and I filmed for a week with, with Wolfgang. And I, I, I had like, I mean, I had probably like 12 lines. Okay. Not a big role, but like big enough. And uh, we filmed for a week and I was one of the, and they cut the entire section. Oh. what does that feel like i mean you put in your effort and your time and oh, that everything was devastating. That was de- i mean it wasn't so devastating for me as much as like i was devastating because like perfect storm was like a legit huge film sure i mean um Wahlberg's in it uh, clooney's in it yeah like my parents are gonna go see it in the movie theater <laughs> and like i was probably on it for like i probably would have had i don't know three minutes of screen time mm-hmm. like not like this isn't like three seconds like I had like a legit role. Yeah. And like I probably would have gone on the screen for like three minutes, you know? And my mom would have gone to the movie theater with her friends. That's my boy. Me, right. And seen me in a movie. Like, so that was like, it was, yeah, that was gutting. It was like, ah. Oh. Wow. Like I knew it was a chance, but I was like, because it was a long movie. So I was like, yeah, oh, it's going to get cut. Like I was oh, like, it's going to get cut. <laughs> uh, but I remember when I got that part, it was pretty amazing. Like I read the book. And then I got the script and I read it and I was like, oh, this is cool. And we filmed up at the base. And I was like, Point Magoo. And I was like, that, that was that was a great experience. Um, so probably my favorite, my favorite thing I ever acted in, though, I'll tell you. I was a junior in high school. And I played George Gibbs in Our Town. Mm. And great play, by the way, if anybody's, if anybody's uh, not familiar with it. But the director of that play, and I still remember June Moffat was the director of the play, my high school theater director. Uh, it was her last, it was the last play she directed before she passed away. Mm-hmm. And it was really touching because we were all so close to her. Mm-hmm. And I was one of the, you know, I had one of the bigger roles in the play. And it was, I, I still remember, like, I remember her and I remember the time and it was amazing. So. Well, you certainly uh, answered that question. It's nice to you know, go through all those wonderful memories. Nice to have all those memories to go through. It's uh, that's good stuff. Uh, last question from Shells. Then we got one more before we wrap it up. Um, Shell is a beast. You should hire Shell. <laughs> you should be on payroll. Good stuff, right? We saved the best for last. <laughs> yeah. right? um, it's uh, where was this? What is your most memorable broadcasting gig? Memorable broadcasting gig. Um, I'm trying to think, you know, I've covered the NFL and I've covered NASCAR. I mean, I've covered some Daytona 500s, which were like amazing. That was really, that was really cool. Um, covering the NFL is just so much fun. I mean, I'm watching American football and I'm getting paid to talk about the game. And I love that. It was so much fun. And I did it for many years for Sky and that was a lot of fun. I'll say my most memorable experience actually was when, uh, Todd Brunson was heads up for the stud eight bracelet many, many years ago. And Doyle Brunson, who very rarely shows up the Rio now came to cheer on his son, not mm-hmm. only came to cheer him on, but came in the booth with me. And I commentated on the final table of the study eight event that Todd, Br- Todd Brunson was at and Doyle was in the booth with me. Wow. And what was so cool about that moment was that, you know, we all have different memories or thoughts of Doyle Brunson, you know, and what would be, oh, wow. Like, like I read Super System when I was 28 years old, whatever it might have been. And for me, I got to see Doyle Brunson, the dad. Because hmm. he was just a dad there. He was in the booth with me and I'm sitting here and he's sitting right next to me and I'm sitting there and he's like, and he's just going and he's going like, Todd's making a play and he goes, Rrr. And he's just like fist bumping and he's going, and I was like, and this is before I was a dad. Right. And I was like, this is awesome. You know, cause how often do you get like arguably the biggest name in poker in the commentary booth commentating on his son, Yeah. you know, che- and cheering his son on. So oh. it's pretty cool. Oh, that's an, that's an, I like, you, you got me hooked right there. I, got, yeah, I was like, oh my God, I'm there. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't know if it exists. I don't know where that is. That oh my footage. Goodness. I wish I had it because it was just so cool. 
All right. Well, of course, uh, both the Doyle and Todd are Poker Hall of Famers. So uh, what, what a moment. That, that's fantastic. Great question and, and amazing answer. Um, our final question for today for this episode is from Antonis32123. So thank you for this question, Antonis. Uh, what, what is the thing that you like most when you play live poker and the thing that makes you un- most uncomfortable when playing live poker? Okay, well, I'll answer the second part first. Sure. I want to leave it on a positive. Uh, the thing that makes me most uncomfortable or angry is when I see people angling other people. Mm. Um, I feel like anybody who plays poker and is experienced with the game, it's our responsibility to protect the inexperienced. The game, this, this game, this great game that we have is precious and delicate in some ways and people try this game and and if you've ever had the experience of going to a poker room can you imagine if you went to the poker room and the first time you went there you got angled you wouldn't play again and i i so i i i feel like part of my duty as a poker player is to protect those so i i i really get upset if i'm sitting at some place sitting at a table and i i'm watching that um there was a time i was at hustler a couple of years ago where a guy was, he would play this game where he would uh, he'd get his card and he would, he would tell me, Hey, I haven't looked at my cards. I bet you one of these is a Jack. Hmm. And people would continue betting him. Right. And he obviously had looked, you know? Yeah. And so I just called him out. Yeah. You know? Called him out, told the floor man. I said, "Get this guy." I, 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 uh, to me, it's just I, there's no room for it. So yeah, it makes me uncomfortable. It makes me angry. Okay. You know, I don't like angles. I don't like, um, like I said. I mean, I this is a game that, you know, obviously it's it's been very good to me, and I try to give back to it. But it's just a game where I feel like the lifeblood of the game is is bring new people in. People ask me all the time, like, "Hey, would you would you uh, would you teach your son this game?" And I go, "Why wouldn't I?" I go, "I love it. I love poker." I go, not only that, I go, it teaches you so many great life skills. Go, why would I not teach my son something that I'm so passionate about, you know? But, uh, so that, that makes me angry. Um, what was the positive part of the question again? And, and what do you like most about uh, live poker? People. <laughs> I like people. I like talking. I like having fun. Um, you know, I mean, that's, that's the, it's a social game. Have a good time. You know, going there and uh, hanging out with a bunch of people and competing and trying to outwit, outwit each other, but, you know, telling stories and uh, yeah, the social aspects, aspect of the game to me is, is amazing. I mean, listen, I, 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 think league, I think online poker should be legal. I, I mean, I, I don't think that's, that's, there's no, no reason for online poker not to be legal. And I think online poker is fantastic. And I love the idea of like sitting in my pajamas and playing poker on my couch. That's great. But nothing to me, nothing will replace going to a casino, seeing people, meeting people, talking to different people, socializing. That's, that's, that's how we play. That's the stone cold nuts, man. That's good stuff. Right. And, and hopefully that'll come back soon. And I want to make sure I thank you all of the wonderful folks uh, in the in the forum in the Cards Chat community who sent in questions. Just a reminder to all of our listeners and everyone watching, we'd love to see you submit your questions for our future podcast guests. There is a dedicated thread there. Uh, we announce who the guest is before they appear, so it gives you guys plenty of opportunities to send in your questions. Uh, and of course, please be sure to give us a good review on iTunes and spread the word via your social media channels if you like the show. David, before we check out, is there anything else you'd like to tell our listeners before we let you go? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's more. This too shall pass. We're going to get through this, okay? And, uh, you know, the old saying of what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. I do believe that. And, uh, you know, you and I touched on this earlier, right before the, the uh, you press the record button, and I, I say – Poker players, we learn about perspective and, you know, keeping things in perspective is really important and, and even so important now. I mean, we're at the, 
as a poker player, sometimes we think the, the world is coming to an end when we lose with our ace-king versus somebody ace-queen. Ace, you go, okay, keep it in perspective, right? Uh, to me, 2020 is, like I said, it's a challenge for everybody for many different reasons, and I wish everybody well. Uh, we'll get through this. And uh, if you see me at any event, whether it's Vegas, whether it's come say hi. I will not bite you. I promise. I am friendly. Come say hi. I'll even buy you a beer or your beverage of choice if you're, if you're like Robbie Stradinsky and you don't like beer. <laughs> Confirm. Definitely one of the friendliest guys. <laughs> Definitely one of the friendliest guys in poker. David, uh, thank you so much. That's David Tuckman, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Cards Chat. I'm Robbie Straczynski. You can follow me on Twitter at Card Player Life. I wish you all a wonderful day. Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community. <laughs>